0: And welcome back to Jake's World, episode 21 of Jake's World. I'm your host, Jake Sawinski. And I gotta stop slacking. I need to get back rolling. Get on the ball. Stay consistent and take this motherfucker to the moon. I'm back to the drawing board. I'm gonna figure out how to get this thing consistent, get it rolling, and try to keep it fresh for all of you. I've been a little disappointed in my effort as of late. And I say now I'm gonna try my best to make it better even though of course that's probably gonna fall off the rails in three days when something else comes up. But I'm thinking about it. We're going back to the drawing board. Gonna tweak a little things do a little more homework, think about it a little more. Look at the numbers, crunch some numbers. And of course I do this, you know, before holiday week. But this is going to be a test for me cuz pretty pumped up. I got a 4-day work week, Friday off, most people do. But then I use two of my vacation days, Monday and Tuesday. So Jake's got a long weekend. I'm pretty pumped up about that. Big show for you today, I feel like. I mean, I've got some talking points to bring up. Got a movie review to do at the end. It's going to get a little wild, so strap yourselves in for that segment. But before I get into anything, I need to say it's about time the MOB got all of its shit sort of figured out. It's about damn time. Rob Manfred, I don't think I've ever seen a commissioner drop the ball so hard on getting a sport back to playing so long after the other sports did, right? So I know, I know it's a special set of circumstances with what has been happening over the last three months. But Bud Selig could get the MLB back going and running during a nuclear holocaust. You could figure something out, like get the guys to play in the, the Dimsdale Dome. You, you could have did something. There are a lot of different methods at your disposal, and you could have just, you know, took a back seat and made the owners like take a pay cut for this season amid everything going on. This isn't entirely on you, though. The players could have been like, okay, we'll get everything figured out. We just want to play. All that aside, though, I'm glad we've got hope for baseball. Problem is, though, seems like the cases are coming back up just as soon as conveniently, you know, a lot of the protesting things are not being covered as extensively by the news anymore. Corona's being talked about again. No, 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 no. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm not saying that any of this stuff wasn't necessary to cover. But if this was 2019 or 2021, this would be a totally different scenario. And that's a fact. Political agendas aside, you know, personal feelings aside, that's true. This is 2016, 2020, 2024, 2028. list goes on. It's an election year. It's always covered different. Everything's politicized, and I think that's something we need to realize. Why is this a political movement? Black Lives Matter, why is that a political movement? Why is this not a human rights movement? Because it is. It's about human rights. Well, why do you think? Because the one side is spinning this to make it a political movement. And just a little nugget for you guys, they don't care about it. The The political leaders... That are advocating for it. Don't care about it. I just want you to know that. So that's all I'm going to say about it. So. Oh just kidding. You thought my ranting was done. I really need to insert a. Eric Cartman sound bit here. Like. madam I'm pissed off. I'm really pissed off. Well. I am. This. Segment is. What inspired the title. Of this episode. I'm not cancelled. You're cancelled. I fucking hate cancel culture, right? And I get it. Sometimes people take advantage of, you know, their status or their wealth or their power. And they do really fucking dumb things. And they hurt other people along the way. That's one thing. Sometimes people, you know, we have social media. And, you know, sometimes people say things about other people behind their backs and they say it to a not trustworthy person. And those things that they say may be offensive or crude or hurtful and it gets back to whoever they were talking about. Or they use it on a platform where everyone can see and they get in a little bit of hot water for it. Within the last few years, it's been like a mainstream or popular thing to, quote, cancel, end quote, people, right? Everybody knows that. You're canceled. Chris Delia, Delia, whatever that fucking clown's name is, you're canceled. Well, that's a good reason to cancel him. I canceled him last week or the week before because he did a really fucked up thing. Now, that's one thing. Like, look at people like, I don't know, Bill Cosby, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey. I mean, those were all sexual acts that they got in hot water for. And they should be reprimanded and canceled. Or incarcerated is a better word. But that's fair and just and right. That's the right thing to do. But there's a line where we get offended over everything. And just because something is out of line now doesn't mean it was out of line 10, 15, 20 years ago, right? Now, I'm not going to get into the logistics of what I'm angry about, but the a little it's a little deeper than that. I mean, for an example, look at even 10 years ago. slurs were much more common. You could say various words, I'm not going to say them, but there was a shift in that sentiment and that became socially unacceptable to say. The same thing with people with mental handicaps. That word was synonymous with stupid back in the day, or since not say back in the day like it was a hundred years ago, but. You know, even five, ten years ago, that word was synonymous with stupid and used interchangeably. And there's been a main focus and a shift away from that. And, you know, society and political correctness tells you that's not okay to say. Which is fine. I'm not saying that's not the case. Or I'm not saying that I disagree with that. That's one thing, but it's another thing to reach into the past and dig up things that someone had said in a total different setting in a different context from years ago and bring it out now to cancel them because they don't like them. See that's why That's why I don't have faith in the world or in people anymore because we take all these good ideas and we... Twist them into personal gain and manipulation and squashing competition and doing all things like that. It's like politics. Here, let's take this story and twist it so it's so charged and so unbelievable that we divide each other. I mean, the example I'm saying here is not quite like that, but everybody on earth knows. I love barcel sports, and a lot of people do. Does that make me a misogynist? Does that make me a racist? Does that make me, you know, a conservative, close-minded bigot that doesn't know the difference between right and wrong? No. I'm smarter than all of you. Probably. I mean, I like to think I am, and I could probably back it up. I'm a pretty far- speak, Jake. I'm a pretty fucking smart guy. It, just because someone likes something doesn't mean they're something. They shouldn't be associated entirely with that. Now, going away from that, Barstool, Dave Portnoy especially, has said some really raunchy things over the past. And today on social media, I think it was mostly Twitter. I don't know if it leaked anywhere else, but Jamel Hill was... I think she's a writer at The Atlantic or The Ringer or something. She's a terrible journalist, by the way. Um, she, like, she did a show called The Six on ESPN or like, Sports SC6. That show sucked. She was a terrible, terrible anchor. She um, quote-tweeted some Barstool video from like from Kaepernick time. That was what, three, four years ago. It was... Uh, Portnoy, uh, Dan Katz, Big Cat, and Kevin Clancy, KFC, doing their rundown or whatever. Um, like a vlog or it wasn't a podcast, but whatever they do. And Portnoy said, I'm gonna say something really bad here and he said it. And she Jamel Hill quote tweeted this and was like, Hmm, considering this, I'll pull up the article. I don't want to I want to read this. Word for word here. She says, do scroll, scroll, scroll. This is terrible, but then again, consider the source. And, um, Stoolies are very loyal, very loyal. And Portnoy, Dave Portnoy, is one of the most intelligent users of the internet. I won't say he's the most intelligent person on the internet, because that would be a stretch of the truth, but he knows how to use the internet, and he has proven that. He built a business that is extremely popular from the ground up. He used to hustle newspapers in the Boston area and deliver them like door-to-door, bar-to-bar, store-to-store. And that's where he started. And then he took advantage of the boom of the internet. And now look at him. They're a huge conglomerate, huge company, and one of their fans found a video or a tweet, excuse me, of um, Jamel Hill making fun of Manny Ramirez after he failed a drug test. Now I quote: My Facebook friends are calling him Manny the tranny, so inappropriate and hilarious former ESPN anchor, wrote in a since-deleted tweet. Now, I'm going to stop right there. If you have a blue checkmark and you're deleting tweets, you should automatically lose your checkmark. Unless, I mean, it's an egregious typo or something like that, and then you resend the tweet. I mean, I can delete a dumb tweet, usually 30 seconds after I post it, and I'm like, nah, that's not a good idea. Delete it. If If you post something and you have a blue checkmark, you better fucking stand by it. You double down on that take, whatever it is. Or you come clean and say, yeah, I was wrong. I'm sorry. You don't fucking delete it. You stand by it. And honestly, why delete it? It's already out there. It's already screen grabbed. Like, what's the point of deleting it? You just kind of give into that. Like, oh, that was really dumb. I shouldn't have done that. I'm going to be in trouble. Let's delete it. Just fucking stand by it. If you apologize right away at that time, it probably would have, you would have been forgiven for it. Now, this is the thing that really gets me mad. She says, I quote, For context, the tweet was in reference to Manny Ramirez testing positive for the woman's fertility drug gonadotropin. I can't. I'm not a pharmaceutical guy. It was wholly ignorant, dumb, and offensive. I am ashamed that I was so uneducated about trans issues at the time. I stand with this community firmly today. I kept the tweet up because I welcome the opportunity to apologize and to show growth. See, unlike some people, I'm not defensive about my moments of failure. I learn from it I learn from them and own it. I don't care about Dave Portnoy or any of the other bar school psychophants retweeting this into my timeline. Like it's some gotcha moment. I care about the trans community, I belittled and offended. If they don't see me as an ally because of this, it's my job to show them that I am. Okay. That's a good coming clean moment, but she says, see, unlike some people, I'm not defensive about my moments of failure. You are clearly defensive about your moments of failure because you took the initiative to call off somebody else for their behavior when it's not your job to do so. That is a gotcha moment because you're standing on your pedestal preaching to others like, yes, I know you're a black woman and your experience in America is much different than Dave Portnoy's, you know, a mass hole, that's what they... So what he's referred to in some circles. You know, the Boston arrogance, and he's proud of that. That's okay. She's got a totally different experience, but there's a double standard that comes in here, and I don't like that. Cancel culture dictates who to cancel when it's convenient. You could have one side do the same thing as another side, and because the other side is more likable or... In a different set of of circumstances it's okay. And no it's not okay. She did the same fucking thing he did. Before. Before. And like look at what happened with J.K. Rowling. You know a few weeks ago. She made some poor taste comment about transgender issues. And she defended it. And now she's losing a lot of fans. And seems like I mean she's the world's best author I think she'll always be relevant but I mean that might affect her down the road if she ever wanted to write again not like she has to she's the world's first billionaire author it's not like she ever has to do anything again but look at her story I mean she was homeless at one point and all the work that she put into her life to make it I mean she didn't she could have just gotten a day job and you know not use the creative part of her brain, all that is probably gone now because she made something or she made a comment about something that was in poor taste. Now, why should the other side of that, being Jamel Hill, be okay? Because she owned up to it? She didn't double down on it? No. No, no, no. You said it, you pay the consequences. I mean, if that's the case, you could just say you're sorry and it'd be a get-out-of-jail-free card for everything. Like, where does the buck stop? Like, I'm probably taking this way over the top and being a little too angry about this, but it pisses me off. Like, why is there a double standard with everything? Why is it okay for her to say things like that in her ex? Like, she's not even good at her job. She's a terrible journalist. Like I could do better in my underwear in my bedroom right now than she can. I could do a broadcast and do a better job. She, she's a horrible journalist. Like that show made it like six months, a year. I'm not even checking, because I don't have to. It was horrible, I watched it. I was in like junior high, I was like, can't wait till the game comes on. You watch PTI, I mean I'm in Central Time, so we watch PTI, then this, 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 this show sucks, change the channel, better watch Jeopardy. It's horrible. Terrible journalist. She writes for The Ringer. Sucks. She's not even good at her job, and she's probably not going to lose any opportunity because of it. Oh, because Barstool's got a name associated with itself, and it's okay to call them out. Like, either we should be able to get away with anything, which I don't think is fair, or we hold everyone to the same standard. Or, how about, here's a better idea. How about we just don't dig into people's past and cancel them on things they said 10 years ago? It's the same fucking thing with Josh Hader at the All-Star Game. Like, I made a... um, I started this thing where I listened to every part of my Take episode ever made. And right now, I am... I'm not listening to the new ones. I'm, like, a year behind yet. And I'm, like, May of 2019. And Christian Yellich just came on. And it was talking about the All-Star Game in 2018. Where all those Josh Hader tweets resurfaced. From like 2000. and Like Twitter just started. The kid was in high school still. And he said some really derogatory comments. And like he came up. Or, like it came out right before. He made his all-star game appearance. So you know somebody dug all of these up. Went back years. Found all these. And were sitting on them and waiting. For him to be on the mound he gets off the mound and he gets back to the locker room he's like or the dugout and whenever he checks his phone he's like oh god here we go he didn't probably didn't even remember doing that and it's like he was a 17 year old kid at the time now, I'm not saying it's right but I mean everybody's done something like that fuck when I was in high school like one time I like me and my brother went and smashed a bunch of mailboxes we got in trouble like, everybody does something fucking stupid that they shouldn't have done and they're sorry for. But fucking let it go. It's a part of growing up. And adults do this. Everybody does dumb shit. Why are we digging it up? It's in the past. Leave it there. Let it go. The same thing goes for bad journalist Jamel Hill. Let it go. She said that 10 years ago. Manny Ramirez hasn't swung a bat since, like, 2012. Let it go. Fuck. Like, cancel everyone or cancel nobody. And I lean on the side of cancel nobody. Starting now. Or starting before. Now, if you say something fucking stupid, you don't even have to cancel them. Just don't say anything stupid. On Twitter. Where everyone can see it. If you do, just say you're sorry. As long as it doesn't, you know, physically hurt anyone. Like, come on. Like, enough. Like, just be respectful of each other. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Jesus, fuck. It irritates the shit out of me. Ugh. So, I picked Donnie Darko for the movie review for this week. I announced it. It should have been, f- not last Friday, but the Friday before I did it last Sunday. Not yesterday. For me yesterday Sunday for you But Or two days For you But The movie's a little hard to find I It used to be on Netflix It was for a little while I've seen I saw it like Four years ago Three years ago I'm not sure if it's still there I'm not even sure If it's on a streaming platform now So I will Give A rundown Of the movie So Um In a nutshell I'm going to read the plot pieces of it to you. And I'll use my best narrator voice. It might be a little funny. But in a nutshell, Donnie Darko is about a troubled teenager played by Jake Gyllenhaal. And he meets this rabbit. A gigantic, not Peter Cottontail rabbit, but a big ass fucking death rabbit. In a sleepwalking trance that he has in the middle of the night. And this rabbit tells him that the world is going to end in like a month. In 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, and 12 seconds, to be precise. And ever since this moment, Donnie lives his next days hallucinating and communicating with this rabbit. Now, Donnie wakes up the next morning, there's a jet engine in his bedroom. Spooky. Over the next several days, Donnie continues to have visions of Frank. His parents, Eddie and Rose, send him to a psychiatrist, Dr. Thurman. She believes he is detached from reality and that his visions of Frank are daylight hallucinations, symptomatic of paranoid schizophrenia. Now, I'm gonna pause right here. Schizophrenia, kind of scares me I'm not scared much I don't like schizophrenia it gives me the heebie-jeebies maybe I've watched too many like Law & Order episodes where the killer the rapist is a paranoid schizophrenic and they act totally you know detached from society word salads they can't communicate can't communicate that would be the scariest thing for me like they can't talk about how they feel if it's a really bad case of it And it's like, oh, man, I could not imagine living my life like that. Anyways, Frank begins to influence Donnie's actions through his sleepwalking episodes, including causing him to flood his high school by breaking a water main. Donnie also starts seeing Gretchen Ross, who has recently moved into town with her mother under a new identity to escape her violent stepfather. Dr. Thurman hypnotizes Donnie at his next therapy session, but it ends with him discussing his sexual fantasies involving Christina Applegate, Rocket, while he unzips his pants, causing Thurman to end the session prematurely. Later, Donnie goes to a clearing and shoots bottles while his friends discuss the sexual components of Smurfs. Very strange. But the thing is, nobody else around Donnie knows what's going on because a lot of this is like normal for a teenager growing up. You know, getting in and out of trouble, talking about sex in terrible situations or inappropriate situations. If we weren't watching this and we knew there wasn't some psychotic entity rabbit trying to influence Donnie's everyday life and telling him the world was going to end, he'd seem pretty fucking normal. Teenagers are fucking weird. Help, maybe, like, it's Donald Trump Darko and there's a rabbit influencing his decisions. I don't know. But, continuing gym teacher kitty farmer attributes the act of vandalism to the influence of the short story the destructors assigned by dedicated english teacher karen pomeroy kitty begins teaching attitude lessons taken from local motivational speaker jim cunningham but donnie rebels against these leading to friction between kitty and rose blah 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 blah, blah. oh that's not a blah a bubble appeared oh no no back up Blah, 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 blah. Frank asks Donnie, who in turn asks his science teacher, Dr. Kenneth Monatov, if he believes in time travel. This is important, and this is what I'm going to talk about at the end. Monatoff gives Donnie the philosophy of time travel, a book written by Roberta Sparrow, a former science teacher at the school who is now a seemingly senile old woman living outside of town. That's convenient. Later, while watching football, Donnie notices bubbly columns emerging from the chests of people around him that show Donnie where the person will move. If a bubble a bubble appears on his chest, and he follows it to his parents' closet where he finds and takes a gun. Kitty arranges for Cunningham to speak at a school assembly where Donnie insults him, blah, blah, blah. He later finds Cunningham's wallet, blah, 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 firefighters, child, pornog- child pornography, that's weird, Um. That blah, 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 whatever. With Rose and his little sister and Samantha in Los Angeles and Eddie away for business, Donnie and Elizabeth hold a Halloween costume party to celebrate Elizabeth's acceptance to Harvard. At the party, Gretchen arrives to trot as her mother has gone missing and she and Donnie have sex for the first time. Classic coming-of-age movie with a weird sci-fi twist. When Donnie realizes that Frank's prophesied end of the world is only hours away, he takes Gretchen and two other friends to find Sparrow. I skipped over the part who Sparrow is, sorry. Instead, they find two high school bullies, Seth and Ricky, trying to rob Sparrow's home. Donnie, Seth, and Ricky fight in the road in front of her house just as she returns home. Ricky and Seth flee when an oncoming car runs over Gretchen, killing her. The driver is Elizabeth's boyfriend, Frank Anderson, wearing the same rabbit costume from Donnie's Visions hmm that's a mind fuck second frank can also be seen standing in the bushes in the same scene donnie shoots him in the eye with his father's gun and walks home carrying gretchen's body donnie returns home as a vortex forms over his house he takes one of his parents cars loads gretchen's body into it and drives to a nearby ridge that overlooks town there he watches as the plane carrying rose and the dance troupe home from los angeles gets caught in the vortex's wake which rips off and catches one of its engines Events of the previous 28 days rewind. Donnie wakes up in his bedroom, recognizes the date is October 2nd, and laughs as a jet engine falls into his bedroom, crushing him. Around town, those who lives Donnie would have touched wake up from troubled dreams. Gretchen, who in this timeline had never met Donnie, bikes by the Darko home the next morning and learns of his death. She and Rose exchange glances and wave as if they know each other, but cannot remember from where in a moment of deja vu now this movie had a terrible box office showing but it kind of became a cult classic right the movie's well received too I liked it and I probably out of all the people I've met I probably like movies the most analytically if that makes sense like i watch movies a different way. Like, I like all kinds. I like old movies especially. I don't like newer ones as much. I I just have a blanket taste, but it's... I don't know. It's like fine wine kind of taste. Like, I like a lot of good movies. I'll even watch bad ones. I don't mind. Just, just, like, see it, review it, think about it. Analyze it, how it's made, the plot. I think a movie's way different. It's not just a form of entertainment for me. I kind of... Excuse me, i like to get into it. Now, I apologize if you did not like me reading the synopsis to you. Now, I don't like doing that either. I think that's bad preparation on my part. You shouldn't read a movie review, right? I feel like you should know the movie well enough. Or, that's the thing. I was not able to watch it because... I announced it because I'm like, oh, that'd be really cool. Because I remembered the thing I want to talk about next. I'm like, crap, I can't watch it. And Pulp Fiction is an anomaly for me because I've actually seen Pulp Fiction like seriously 200 fucking times. So I don't know, whatever. So what I want to talk about here is I remember after watching this movie, and God, the web page has. Funny in the corner. It's fucking terrifying. There's a article on the internet about Donnie Darko and the tangent universe. These are the pages from the fictional book, The Philosophy of Time Travel, by Roberta Sparrow. These, the text in these pages, are crucial to understanding the movie and the rules within the tangent universe. Your forward, whatever, whatever. Okay. I'm going to read a few sentences from this book, right? Now, this kind of puts the entire movie in, into perspective, I guess. So, This book was written in 1944 by this demented old woman who lives on the edge of town in, you know, the Virginia countryside or whatever, right? Chapter 1, The Tangent Universe. The primary universe is fraught with great peril. War, plague, famine, and natural disaster are common. Death comes to us all. The fourth dimension of time is a stable construct, though it is not impenetrable. Incidents when the fabric of the fourth dimension becomes corrupted are incredibly rare. If a tangent universe occurs, it will be highly unstable, sustaining itself for no longer than several weeks. Eventually, it will collapse upon itself, forming a black hole within the primary universe capable of destroying all existence. That is what Frank came down to tell Donnie. Hey, a tangent universe is occurring a month. It's all you had. It's a month, right? Chapter 2. Water and Metal Water and metal are the key elements of time travel. Water is the barrier element for the cons- construction of the time portals used as get- gateways between the universes as the tangent vortex. Metal is the transitional element for the construction of artifact vessels. Now, whatever that means, it's like, you guys are probably fucking lost, and I'm pretty lost too. But that's why he floods the basement. Or, excuse me, he breaks the water main in his school. That's why he does all those things of vandalism to create this portal. Think of it like Harry Potter. Like the port key or whatever. The fucking boot and the Goblet of Fire. I don't fucking know why I said that, but... That's what he's doing. He's prepping. Frank is telling him, you need to do these things to, you know, prep. Prep work. Um... Hmm, there's no chapter 3 in this article. That's fucking weird. When a tangent universe... chapter 4, The Artifact and the Living. When a tangent universe occurs, those living nearest to the vortex will find themselves at the epicenter of a dangerous new world. Artifacts provide the first sign that a tangent universe has occurred. If an artifact occurs, the living will retrieve it with great interest and curiosity. Artifacts are formed from metal such as an arrowhead from an ancient Mayan civilization or a metal sword from medieval Europe. Artifacts return to the primary universe are often linked to religious iconography, as their appearance on Earth seems to defy logical explanation. Divine intervention is deemed the only logical conclusion for the appearance of the artifact. I don't know. Chapter 6, The Living Receiver, Donnie. The living receiver is chosen to guide the artifact into position for his journey back to the primary universe. That must be the jet engine. That would be my assumption. No one knows how or why a receiver will be chosen. The living receiver is often plus with the fourth dimensional powers. He's able to see this fucking rabbit. It's terrifying and it's mistaken. as schizophrenia. He's able to see the bubbles that... Like, kind of predict the future, right? These include increased strength, telekinesis, mind control, and the ability to conjure fire and water. No, he's not a firebender or a waterbender. He's just a fucking weird kid in a movie. The living receiver is often tormented by terrifying dreams, visions, and auditory hallucinations during this time within the tangent universe. The universes are colliding. Donnie is the living receiver of this new universe, and he is tangled up with the regular world. Chapter 7, The Manipulated Living. The Manipulated Living are often the close friends and neighbors of the living receiver. All the friends he meets and the people he encounters on his journey who have that weird sense of deja vu at the end once they see the dark home with a fucking Boeing engine in it. Where was I? Um, blah, 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 blah. The Manipulated Living are often close friends and neighbors of the living receiver. They are prone to irrational, bizarre, and often violent behavior. This is the unfortunate result of their task, which is to assist the living receiver in returning the artifact to the primary universe. The manip- Maybe it was the gun, too. That could be part of it. The manipulated living will do anything to save themselves from oblivion. Well, no shit. I would do anything to save myself from oblivion. Actually, I'm not afraid to go. I'm tired. Chapter 9. Insurance trap. Not- I-N-E-N-N insurance trap. The manipulated dead will set an insurance trap. The living receiver must ensure the fate of all mankind. Chapter 10 The Manipulated Dead the, this is fucking wild. The manipulated dead are more powerful than the living receiver. If a person dies within the tangent dimension, they are able to contact a living receiver through the fourth dimensional construct. I don't know what that means. The fourth dimensional construct is made of water. The manipulated dead will manipulate the riv- living receiver using the fourth dimensional construct. See appendix A and B. Whatever that. Well, See appendix A and B. Uh, mm-hmm. Appendix. Yeah, I'm not seeing an appendix here. Well, no shit, living receiver's Donnie. Um, okay, finished, Jake. You're almost done. Chapter 10. I read, started reading that. Manipulated dead will often set an insurance trap for the living receiver to ensure that the artifact is returned safely to the primary universe. If the insurance trap is successful, the living receiver is left with no choice but to use his fourth dimensional power to send the artifact back in time into the primary universe before the black hole collapses on upon itself. Chapter 12. Dreams When the manipulated awaken from their journey into the Tangent universe, they are often haunted by the experience in their dreams. Many of them will not remember. Those who do remember the journey are often overcome with the profound remorse for the regretful actions buried within their dreams, the only physical evidence buried within the artifact itself, all that remains from the lost world. Ancient myth tells us of the Mayan warrior killed by an arrowhead that had fallen from a cliff where there was no army, no enemy to be found. We are told of the medieval knight mysteriously impaled by a sword he had not yet built. We are told that these things occur for a reason. Just think about that. Was Donnie's whole purpose to save the fate of mankind? Or was this just the weird plot in a fucking movie It's I spent how long reading that right And none of it Made sense Why would it right Like how could that make sense You read a synopsis Half assed and Like I didn't even see the movie Of course that's not gonna make sense And, I mean, I'm just, I went into reading all of that just because it's crazy. Oh, God, that bunny's terrifying. It's crazy, like, how much thought goes into stories like this. And somebody took the time to actually, actually, you know, think this through and make it a reality on the screen. I mean... To me... It just seems like... There's so much science involved in it. And like you watch the movie and it doesn't make sense. And it's explained. There's two articles. I'm only going to read the first one. That's kind of just setting the tone for... Um... Lost my train of thought. It's just setting the tone for, like, what the movie was about if you haven't seen it and what's actually into it. Sometimes it's good to know a little bit before because you can kind of make conclusions as you go. Because I remember watching this and I was so fucking confused. I was like, what? Then it turns out I go in a, a rabbit hole and there's so much shit into it that goes into this. And it's like, Jesus Christ. So... Moral of the story, watch the movie if you can find it. And two, I'll pick a movie that, like, we actually have access to for, you know, next time. That would be smart. Now. Now, now, now. This is a movie for next Monday. This is a movie very near, very dear, very, very dear to my heart. To Western. It's on Netflix, that's much I know. Or at least it was last time I turned on Netflix. Westerns are tough for some people. They're old, they're slow, but they're gritty. I fucking love grit. I'm the king of grit. I'm just kidding, but I love gritty stuff. The good, the bad, and the ugly. The best Western ever told. The best... Seriously, it's the best Western ever. Not the hotel, the movie. Clint Eastwood, Lee Van Cleef, Eli Wallach, Sergio Leone movie. Ooh, so fucking good. I can't wait to watch that again. Wah, 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 wah. All right. That's enough. I'm rambling. That's today's show. Um, thanks for listening. I know it's kind of a weird one, a little bit of a rant, a little bit of a wormhole experience, but. I don't know. Hopefully it gave you some perspective. You know at least in the first part. In the second part. At least intrigued you enough to find a way to watch this movie. It's fucking weird. But it's worth it if you do. It's kind of a cult flick. But you won't not like it. It's creepy. But I promise. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat. At Jake Sawinski 8. J-A-K-E-S-A-W-I-N-S-K-I-8. At Jake Sawinski 8. Keep doing your thing, keep listening, keep telling your friends and your family, keep growing the show. And like I said, you guys could, of course, do a much better job of selling this for me, but you won't do that unless I make this good enough for you to do that. I need to put in the prep work, put in the leg work, and put out a good product. And I'm going to work at my best, I'm going to do my best to do that. So, have a good week, guys. Peace. Oh, 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 today at work, listen to my beautiful dark tw- twist of fantasy it's been 10 years that kanye album that fucking goes a tour but earlier this if you have a chance all right i mean it now peace make the knees <laughs> shake make the priest faint uh make the nun come make the queen made move downtown couple sweet space, uh living life like we want a sweet stakes word we headed to hell for heaven's sakes, huh Well i'm a levitate make the devil wait yeah Lost your mind. Tell me when you think we crossed the line. No more drugs for me. Pussy and religion is all I need. Grind my hand, baby. We'll live.